Hello and welcome to What Next for Wales, I'm Theo Davis-Lewis. This is the final episode of the series. I've had a host of different conversations over the past two months. Topics have included the future of media, the new curriculum, the climate emergency, second homes, arts funding, the breakup of the UK. So a lot to pack in in about 40 minutes usually, but all episodes have hopefully been a refreshing take on some of them because they are important to Wales now and will be uh, in the future. Underpinning the desire to do this podcast was to take a kind of long view on some of these matters. And because there was an election coming up two months ago, if you all remember, a few weeks have passed and we've had that election plenty of time for analysis too. But it would be remiss of this series not to look back at the results and also look ahead to what the next term might hold. After all, it is the politicians in the Welsh Parliament, like it or not, that will influence our lives, not just for the next five years, but most likely beyond. I am in very good company this week, with Professor Richard Wynne-Jones joining me to discuss the fallout from that historic Welsh Labour victory on May the 7th. We also touch upon issues such as the race to replace Mark Drakeford, the future of Scotland, the UK, challenges and opportunities for the Senedd, as well as a look at the other parties too. It's, of course, as I've said, a lot to pack in, but thank you, Dioch, uh, to Richard for his ever-precious time. And thank you, of course, to all of my guests who have been on the podcast so far. Diolch Fawriani Chi, I'm Grandara Raglen Hivid. I hope you enjoy this episode and have a great week. Richard, when Jones, Croeso and Fawriani Eir Podleadba. Diolch Fawriani. With a name, but I'm great with a Nacy Welty on Sangley Welty at Hindebreed at a screen. We just didn't really know to have a signal stunny and Cardiff, but it's it's very nice to have you on. I'm going to switch. Switch to English now, Richard, on, on this final episode of the podcast, this series. We've heard so much over the last few weeks and months about, you know, uh, the situation here in Wales and the political situation. And of course, we're speaking a few weeks after the election result. Um, uh, briefly to reflect on what happened on May the 7th. Quite a historic election in Wales for several different reasons, wasn't it? Well, I think not just for Wales. I think it was a historic um, set of elections for the state as a whole. If if we start by kind of widening the optic, um, you know, the fact that we have three different dominant parties in the different nations of Britain uh, and that the three of them are national parties, by which I mean the SNP clearly get majority support from those who feel Scottish. The Conservatives in England get majority support from those who feel English. And in Wales, um, Labour, you know, do incredibly well amongst those people who feel Welsh. So we have a really extraordinary situation. And this isn't new, I guess, but the different performance, the difference in performance between Labour in Wales, on the one hand, and Labour in England, and indeed Labour in Scotland, was so marked, was so striking that I think, yeah, I think this was a genuinely significant election for the state. And then in, in, in Wales itself, obviously, I mean, I've seen over the last couple of days some people, I think, suggesting that Labour didn't do that well in Wales. And I'm just, and I, I, I'm, you know, it was a remarkable um, performance by Welsh Labour after 22 years in power when they were, you know, they were, they were under siege. The Conservatives were so bullish about this uh, set of elections. And yet Labour pulled it out of the bag in quite an extraordinary way and have left their 
their two main rivals really licking their wounds. Um, so yeah, no, it's 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 just been a, an extraordinary set of elections with huge ramifications for the future of the state. Uh, and next year, obviously, marks uh, the centenary of Labour dominance uh, in Wales, displacing. Uh, you know, Lloyd George uh, and the Liberals as the true party of Wales, as you've spoken about over the last few weeks as well, to the delight, I would say, of many Welsh Labour um, <laughs> parliamentarians and members. Um, but you talked about, you know, licking the wounds of some of the opponents, you know, the Conservatives, for example, you know, probably won't be too devastated with how they've done in Wales. I mean, it's obviously their highest number of seats ever, but Plaid Cymru in particular, you know, are going to be and are, uh, I think, from the conversations that I'm having, very disappointed with how they've done. And you, as I said, you picked up on the fact that probably the Welsh Labour Party are the party of Wales. I just wonder, over the last few weeks, have you had a sense from Plaid Cymru as to as to how they've dissected this yeah. humiliation okay. in some seats as well? Yeah. Yeah, can I, I mean, can I can I start with the Conservatives because we'll get to Plaid. I've just written a I've just written a, a piece for Barn, the Kilchgram Barn. Um, uh, they gave me extra space for this uh, particular issue, so I can I, I so I've been able to say what I want to say about Plaid, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But let's talk about the Conservatives briefly, if you don't mind, Theo, because I think there's a danger that we kind of skip over that on the basis. Well, you know, it is their best haul. But I would, I would say that this was a deeply disappointing set of results for the Conservatives. You know, these were, um, from their perspective, very good um, conditions for uh, the election. They had been, um, you know, I, I spoke at their conference in Llangollen uh, just before the lockdown. So that would have been, I guess, early March 2020. Mm -hmm. And they were so bullish, and we were presenting data from the 2019 Welsh election survey, and it was just a, a room full of joyous Conservatives. They were so gung-ho. They were so hopeful that they'd finally managed to crack Labour dominance. There was some really wild talk about how North Wales had been, you know, fundamentally transformed. This was now going to be the kind of, um, that the Conservatives were going to clean up in North Wales, and they were so bullish, and they genuinely thought that what they that, that Johnson's success in the 2019 election mean, meant that finally they could crack uh, Labour dominance in Wales because they thought that Leave voting working class voters uh, would move to the Conservatives, and so what's really striking is that none of that happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at their performance. Um, obviously, the, the the disappearance of the unpopular populists flatters them. Really, I mean, they 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 had success in in two constituencies. One was the Vale of Clwyd, which was the lowest of lower low hanging fruits. I mean, you know, the the incumbent Labour um, member of the Senate was standing down. It's a Conservative held parliamentary seat. You know, it was the lowest of low, low hanging fruits. The only other success, and there was no other Labour-facing success, nothing, even though that they were, you know, they were very, at times, they were convinced they were going to do very well. And their only other success was in in Brecon and Radnor, where, you know, it's the, it's the kind of self-immolation of the Welsh Liberal tradition, gifting a seat to the, the Conservatives. So I think that this was a, a deeply disappointing um, 
results for the Conservatives, not least because it's not clear where they go. So, you know, they, ha they, they in the early years of devolution, they rebranded that they became the Welsh Conservatives. They really stressed that. They tried to challenge the century and a half perception in Wales that they're not a proper Welsh party. They threw all of that aside after 2016. They essentially became the we stand up for Britain, everything is better in England, get Brexit done party. That's a, a mouthful, but basically that's been their whole approach. Um, and that hasn't worked, okay? I think I think what, what we saw um, in, in the election, in this last election, was the kind of high watermark of that kind of thing. Um, so it's not clear to me where they go. It's not clear that they've got a strategy for ever being in government in Wales. I mean, literally ever being in government in Wales. So I think that it's worth, I don't think we should let the Conservatives get away with what was a disappointing result before we talk about how terrible it was for Blake. <laughs> no, but that, that, you know, that's, that's, that's right, Richard. And, and touching then upon that, I think I think that's right in terms of the strategy because I remember doing a podcast a couple of weeks before the election for the uh, the Welsh political icon series on David Melding actually, yeah. um, and essentially that kind of conservatism where really uh, at the end of the day you need to have a coalition essentially to get into government if yeah. you're a conservative party. Um, do you think though, looking? at the Tories in Wales then, they've said they want to be a constructive opposition because that's what you say a day after you, you've lost the election. Yeah. Um, but does that mean, you know, possibly they become essentially, uh, you know, a unionist bloc in, in, in the same way that Plaid Cymru can be their own bloc supporting Labour? Is that is that a possible role for them in the next five years? Are they just well, essentially are a pressure group for Boris Johnson in the Senate? Well, if I mean, that that's a... I think they're set up for that, um, you know, you always have to remember that in the Conservative Party, um, Westminster is the senior partner, the MPs are the senior partners compared to the MSs. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot, of course, as we know, a lot of the MPs are deeply hostile to devolution and wish it would all just go away as if it was some kind of bad dream. So I think that, that I think the Senate group is between a rock and a hard place. It's also, you know, they have a leader who um, Andrew Davis was basically, I'm, I'm not sure if he was forced against his will, but certainly, you know, he wasn't expecting to lead them into the election. They've got an interesting um, group of new members. So they've got some interesting Welsh local government experience, uh, people who are well used to cooperating with the Welsh government in various guises. So, you know, the, we, we're not, it's going to take a while for that group to gel. It's not clear to me what Andrew R.T. Davis's long-term future is as a leader. In fact, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a long-term future, but I'm not sure what the short to medium term looks like. But I think they've got a huge strategic dilemma ahead of them. And the other thing, you know, just which everybody seems to forget, but which is hugely consequential, is that we are now going to see the reduction of the number of MPs going to Westminster from Wales to 32. And that is now in train as a process. And pretty you know, in the not too distant future, we're going to see <laughs> MPs uh, from all parties uh, at the, you know, at each other's necks in terms of trying to ensure that they're in the boss seat for whatever the new boundaries are. So, you know, I think that that is going to have a big impact on the coherence of the Welsh uh, 
MP block, um, Welsh Tory MP block. It's going to have a big impact, I think, on the Welsh Labour uh, PLP. So, I, you know, I think that there's so much uncertainty, in particular for the Conservatives, about where they they go, how they brand themselves, how they how they locate themselves, how the Senedd group interacts with the the Westminster Welsh Tory bloc. I mean, I I, I think they've got huge strategic dilemma, and in a sense, because they've because they can say this was our best result. Uh, they, they may be able to kind of hide that from the public, but I think behind the scenes, thoughtful Welsh Tories will be, especially those in the Senedd, will be work, trying to work out where the hell they go from here. And from one potential pressure group then to another, Clyde Cymru, <laughs> uh, which is what I, which is very, um, very stark and um, forthright uh, comments that I made in, in a column last week. They call them a pressure pressure group, yeah. basically, and and that is not necessarily how everyone would characterise them. But I remember uh, on election night uh, watching you, not from uh, a screen, but actually in person, watching you, Richard, talk about how uh, there'd been a you know failure of strategy uh, from Plaid Cymru in this election. That the messages that they had wanted to land didn't necessarily cut through. I know that the Wales Government Centre are going to be looking at more in yeah. depth about you know, what has happened in this election over the next few days. Uh, but uh, similar to the Tories then, you know, Plaid Cymru are going to be what, more disappointed, devastated as, as to how this has landed, especially with Leanne Wood losing her seat. Where do they go from this election? Well, I mean, there's so many, so many things uh, about Plaid Cymru's performance which are which are noteworthy. Um, um, but also there's the the whole issue of how they perceive their own performance, which I think is key. So in terms of my assessment, it's basically it was a lot of familiar feelings being repeated. I think the 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 thing I would be most worried about if I was um, you know some kind of advisor to the play camera uh, leadership is that these were all predictable predicted problems so let me go through them you know the target seat performance was awful was absolutely uh, awful um they they went backwards sometimes dramatically in everywhere they would be they considered themselves to be um you know or could have been considered to be uh real contenders they lost the only seats which was being which they'd held, which was being targeted by somebody else, which was was the Honda. They lost it badly, um, and actually, where they made progress, and and I'm sure you've had the same experience as I've had, Theo, where I've said this, and people then say, "Well, yeah, but look how we did in Montgomeryshire or whatever." You know, my response to that is, "Yes, they did do decently in other seats, Wrexham. You know, there, there, there were there were there were glimmers." But in all of those cases, it was as a result of local efforts, not as part of some kind of national coherent campaign. So they have they, they seem to have no capability, no organizational capability that allows them to turn a national campaign into a effective local ground game. And then we had, and I can go on about this at, at some length, so just stop me when this gets boring, Theo. But you know, there's also that they have this pathological tendency to overclaim you know they they hype their own um chances in ways which i find <laughs> utterly 
bizarre. So, you know, we had, we had um, you know, in, in the run-up to the election, Plaid were going to form a government, you know, could Adam Price be a joint first minister? This in a context where they had no credible, no credible target seats. And, and for me, the kind of piste de, de resistance was um, on the Friday, on, on the day of the count, I, I, I saw um, Adrian Masters, who's obviously, you know, who, whose stuff I believe implicitly said applied source has been in touch saying they're confident in Abbott Conway. And, you know, and that was, that was a head in hands moment where you go, you know, even if you think that, why would you say it? Just wait, you know, just wait. But uh, for me, given, given applied serial lack of credibility about claims of this kind, I basically knew, well, obviously they're nowhere near in Abbott Conway. And, you know, and it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's this, uh, boy crying wolf uh, thing, and, and so on and so on. So this was, um, I think this was a very, very disappointing election for them. If we retain this electoral system, you know, they've got no, they really don't have any credible target seats next time round, which is, you know, which is utterly damning. You know, they might be able to scrape one or two on the list or whatever, but that's not, you know, that, that doesn't hurt Labour. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think this was a a very very disappointing but predictably disappointing result for them. But and it's a big but is it being interpreted in that way within Plaid Cymru itself? Um, uh, and so you know, just to give you one example, I, I like you. Uh, I've been pretty forthright about this and had some interesting <laughs> clashes with leading Plaid Cymru figures on the media over the last few weeks when I. Uh, and you know, there's a letter by David Yuan, um, obviously the icon of of Plaid Cymru, in the new Golog, uh, which basically takes issue with me for being too critical of Plaid Cymru's performance, and you know, looking for the looking for the glimmers of light. And the Plaid, you know, and I I say this with 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 love and respect for for David Yuan, you know, Plaid have a long history of not facing up to poor electoral performances, not doing anything, and therefore um, repeating this ad nauseum for years. And I've written, as I said, a long piece, which I think tries to detail some of their issues. Um, but I have, <laughs> I have no sense that anybody in Plaid Cymru wants to listen to it, to be honest. Well, well Richard, I haven't had the honour to be rebutted by David Ewan yet in my, in, my, <laughs> in my brief career, but it might come. I've just got, I've just got trolls on social media. Um, but you've touched upon a few things there uh, before um, we look at perhaps where they go next. Um, the Adrian and Masters anecdote is an interesting one because what I see from the party is, and the denials that perhaps you referenced there, they can't really face up to it. Is it just a state that, you know, they're not, there's not a, an aura of professionalism about the party and how they strategize and how they face up to it? Because even, I think even after, you know, the results became very clear, you had Adam Price making a speech at his local uh, constituency, um, um area saying you know talking about an independence and talking about the future and so on it completely struck the wrong note for me and i think that at the heart of plaid cymru is this long-term professional chasm essentially that is obviously ingrained in their political yeah. functions and strategy but also yeah. in the way they face up to it as 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 politicians and, and strategists as well yeah i mean listen all parties find it difficult to face up honestly to 
um, to problems. So it's it's mm -hmm. not exactly uh, um, and, and often the you know interpreting defeats turns into big internal battles between various factions. So you know it's Plaid is hardly alone, um, but you know they now have a long history of this. I, I mean I, I make two points. First is on professionalism. Um, I don't think it's off, don't think it's remembered often enough that Ply Cymru used to be different. I mean, Ply Cymru was arguably, um, say 2007, that period, probably the most professional party machine in Wales. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and so this is, there's nothing, you know, obviously it, the, the Labour and the Conservatives can shift much larger resources into Wales. Um, but Plaikimer is genuine, is, has you know hist historically been relatively well resourced and pretty professional, so it doesn't have to be like this. But there's been a, a complete unwillingness to to face up to organisational deficiencies, and they you know and we 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 shall see. I mean, they're, they're going to be appointed. They they went into this election with a a short term appointment as chief exec, and that's never a good sign. That a party uh, is shifting chief exec um, in the immediate run-up to the most important election in its kind of five-year calendar. So you know, so that so there is an opportunity for them to in, to fix this, but whether they take it is another matter. Then the other thing I I wanted to pick up on because you made this whole point about pressure group um, and. And again, sorry, I, I've kind of I'm trying to write something about this, so I, I can I can get probably quite boring about this. But I mean, we sh I mean, uh, political parties are complicated beasts, and there's a really interesting kind of comparative literature on what political parties are about, and they're not simply about um, winning elections. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, for some political parties, advancing a policy agenda is more important than forming a government okay mm -hmm. uh, and there's a whole there's a kind of a, a literature which which differentiates between policy so people you know trying to promote policy votes maximizing the number of votes you have or seeking office and all of those things push you in slightly different directions as political parties and because we're so used to Welsh labor which which is you know, unique in the democratic world as having won every election for almost a century. We're used to thinking of parties advancing on all three fronts at the same time, but that's not how it works for most political parties in most of the democratic world. And, you know, and part of Plaid Cymru, and this is the paradox of their position, part of them will be going, well, yeah, we didn't do really well, but look, you know, all the abolished crowd got abolished. Mm -hmm. Evolution now looks more stable, um, there's more self-confidence around devolution in Wales than for any time over the last five years. Um, the fact that Labour, <laughs> you know, the fact that um, we have three different results in the three different territories of Britain will actually cheer lots of Plaid Cymru supporters up. You know, the fact that Wales is different makes them feel pretty good about life. So, you know, it's about so in terms of their policy agenda, and you know the independence thing is not going to go away. Um, and in fact, I think they will be pretty confident that Labour, Welsh Labour, is going to hit the buffers very soon because you know, you know it's all it's okay to talk about Home Rule, but Welsh Labour have 
no way of delivering it um, <laughs> at all. And uh, they look further away from power in England than they have than they did even two weeks ago. So they will be looking at this thinking, well, our policies, we might have done terribly. <laughs> our organization might not be very good. It's quite embarrassing in the in the key seats, um, which we were trying to target. But actually, the policy agenda is advancing. And so this is why, you know, are there, is anybody going to be brave enough to go, actually, this isn't good enough? And of course, I suspect, Theo, you and I won't know, because, um, you know, if they're sensible, they'll do this behind closed doors. I mean, I, I heard that same speech by Adam Price that you heard, and it was, again, that was another head in hands moment. Did, did you actually, have you seen the results, Adam? <laughs> um, um, so, but, you know, on the other hand, they're not going to, um, you know, they're not going to flog themselves publicly. And they now they're not, you know, there's not, there's no coalition. They have the opportunity to take a hard look at themselves. What I'm not sure about, is there anybody with enough clout in the party to force that to happen. And, um, you know, while the Conservatives and Plaid Cymru have their own internal discussions about strategy, what we've seen over the last few weeks then has been, you know, Welsh Labour, uh, Mark Drakeford forming his cabinet. On that briefly, any surprises with that cabinet for you, Richard, or not? Um, no, I mean, minor... So we, we, we shall see, but I was slightly surprised that we didn't see more of an attempt to set up um, somebody like Lee Waters, um, who is clearly very able. I mean, the way that he's transformed Llanelli into a basically a safe Labour seat. Well, as you will know better than I, Theo, that is quite an achievement. He's been a dynamic minister. I mean, I think everything in Welsh Labour over the next two years is going to be about the succession. I mean, there's a real, there's a, there's a kind of real paradox is that, um, you know, this was a huge personal vote of confidence in Mark Drickford. The election result was clearly a mandate for Drickford and yet he is now a, a dead duck. You know, this, this is, politics is a, a cruel business and very, very quickly people are, are moving to, okay, who's coming after Mark? And we've mm -hmm. got three of the obvious contenders uh, have been set up in key roles. So we've got Leonard Morgan, who I have no doubt will want to run. We'll we'll have uh, Vaughan Gething, who will no doubt want to run. We've got Jeremy Miles, who similarly, I think, is being tipped as a runner. Are they the only three? Um, or is there a candidate? that None of them are obviously candidates from the left. Um, and, you know, there's probably... So I, I do wonder about... So I, I wonder about the climate change ministry and is that going to be this giant ministry that kind of runs over everything and therefore the profile of of Lee Waters will be heightened as a result of that or not? I genuinely don't know. Um, but that that was the it's not a surprise, but it's uh, yeah. I, I I mean I'm looking at everything now in terms of the succession, uh, and I, you can and you can take it for granted. Lots of people within the Labour Party are doing that as well. Yeah, and also you've got lots of <laughs> and commentators like me as well, Richard. So I mean, it's basically we don't want to live in the present. Um, but you're you're right, Luke. You, that was my sort of next question to you. And what what we've seen this week, really, uh, I think anyway, yeah. is that you've seen the key foundations of the Drakeford project, so to mm. speak, in the next three years. So you've got obviously so many things that we won't be able to get into, but that uh, potential trial of a UBI scheme. You've had 
the expansion of uh, the potential expansion of the Sinev uh, again, which obviously colleagues at the Wales Government Centre uh, have have been writing about extensively. Yeah. You've got comments in terms of the future uh, trade arrangements between Britain and other parts of the world. You know, Drakeford is, I think, now really. Got, he's got a three-year deadline, which is, is a good thing for him because he knows what he wants to achieve in three years, but then also there's not a lot of time. Uh, I wonder whether you know, that the cabinet behind him, um, you know, the likes of Alina Morgan, Von Gething and Jeremy Mars, you cited, um, do they re- when will they be starting to move, do you think, on the succession? I mean, they might be moving now. It might be the case. I mean, he wants to step down when he's around his 70th birthday, which I think is September 2024. Yeah. When will we start to have that clearer? Because we've had loads of articles this week about the succession. But yeah. when will we start seeing it far clearer from other other politicians in the cabinet? Well, we, we've, already, we've already seen bits and bobs, haven't we? So during the election, I mean, I, you know, because I, I kind of find this stuff fascinating, you'll have noticed how... How Vaughan, for example, was was you know helping other candidates, um, um, and you know Ellen Ned has has room to roam because of the nature of her mm-hmm. uh, role or the, what gets her into the Senate. So you know, so we've seen a, we've seen a little bit of we've we've seen a little bit of preparing the ground, and I'm sure that there will be uh, conversations if they haven't already happened people will be sounding people out as who will be in my team and you know who's going to run the campaign and that I'm, I, I'm pretty certain that some of those conversations will have been mooted already but you know nobody's going to be crude enough to to step into the limelight uh, because you know, Mark Drickford has got this huge personal uh, mandate and he's going to hang around um you know, I, and it's interesting that you say three years. I mean, I, I, I think you might be right there. I don't, I mean, I genuinely don't know. And who knows, you know, um, who knows? There's so many surprises in politics. But yeah, I think he, he, I think he'll push on. So I don't think that we'll see any, anything emerging publicly until very late in the day. But there will be a lot of preparation going on behind the scenes. But also, I'm, I'm kind of, your, your point about what we've seen over the last, couple of weeks uh, since the election is is striking and you know I, I, I think you're absolutely right that we've seen a kind of new self-confidence around Mark and Mark's team um, and you know why not gosh if, you, if you're not feeling self-confident after that you're never going to feel self-confident you know he is absolutely uh, the leading politician in Wales and you know he you know he is um, he is popular he has he is that popularity has been a key element of their extraordinary success but and and it's a kind of it's a and again i don't want to pour cold water but that's what we do isn't it as as commentators a couple of things one is that a lot of what he might want to achieve is not within his grasp so all of this stuff about changing um the UK constitution, the UK in its current form is dead and all that kind of stuff. And that we, we, we need a revived UK. Um, you know, the Conservative government in London is simply uninterested uh, in that agenda. We'll continue to ignore the Welsh Labour proposals about that. It's not even clear that Mark Drakeford and his team can get the Labour Party to, to agree to what he wants. You know, it's striking that... 
um, Stammer asked Gordon Brown to take the lead in in the in terms of determining Labour's policy proposals for the future of the UK. So all of that stuff is is uh, is stuff he can't deliver, um, and and so and there's a danger that he he oversells his position and ends up looking weak and irrelevant, which would be obviously be a delightful news for Plaid Cymru. And then within Wales, there are things that he can do. So, for example, you know, there is a supermajority in the Senate to change the voting arrangements, the number of seats. But, you know, Mark is, is this interesting mixture of the radical and the very cautious. And is he willing to face down people in his own party? Welsh Labour MPs, for example, um, who you know who will be suspicious of anything that looks like strengthening devolution. Uh, will he will he be able to kind of will he be willing to use his political political capital to face people down on this stuff and get his own way? And uh, and these are and it's also complicated, right? You know how exactly you do it, which boundaries you do it. Even people who want to change can disagree on the means of change. So yeah, I, I, I'm no, not that I'm not convinced that he, I, I am convinced he's feeling confident. I'm convinced that he, he really wants to leave a legacy beyond an incredible electoral victory, election victory. But whether that happens uh, is, is not only down to him and there's no sign that the UK level is willing to listen to him. And, you know, is he willing to to burn his political capital within his own party to get things through in the Senate. We just don't know yet. And I always I always um, hated with these sorts of podcasts when everyone agrees all the time. But I do agree with you, Richard, that the the, <laughs> the, the notion of delivery is a really important one. It was one well, of my next sort of points to was that it is going to be incredibly difficult for not, not even on the constitutional question. You know, for example, we had the child poverty statistics. Yeah. Again, this week, and it's, it's it's my column this week saying, you know, it's it's a terrible thing in Wales, probably even more important than, you know, expanding the Senate or, you know, oh, having yeah. UBI. But, you know, there's certain things the Welsh government can't do, but that's not good enough excuse for certain things. But my other point to you then, looking at, you know, looking at the next um, few years in terms of what Drake wants to do in particular on, on the Constitution, because that is, has been, I mean, I wouldn't have thought of it as such when he first came to power. And I, I remember first interviewing him in when I was, you know, very cocky uh, student when I was twenty one, and, and now I obviously turned into a cocky commentator. Um, but you know, the constitution really wasn't one of our big discussion points, and now obviously it is. You've obviously written so much about it, yeah. in particular from an English perspective, and you know how England yeah. comes over the question of federalism and identity and all these sorts of things. Yeah. But I, I put to you that essentially we will never really know our fate here in Wales, as I've said to other people on the podcast, until we know what happens in Scotland, because that surely will change how the Welsh Labour Party responds to a question, for example, in the not too distant future, perhaps, of an independence referendum. It all depends on Scotland, though, surely, doesn't it? Well, a lot depends on Scotland. I mean, there, there's, there are multiple, if I can say, there are multiple questions in there, Theo. Sorry, <laughs> um, I'm very sorry. So just, um, <laughs> so in terms of, no, in terms of the constitutional side of things, I mean, there are a couple of things. One is that Welsh Labour uh, now have relearned the lesson, uh, and I think learned it intellectually for the first time, maybe, that the Welsh qualifier in front of Labour really, really matters. Identity, 
matters hugely. And that is something that they can't afford to let go of. So there will be, I think, quite a lot of symbolic politics around identity. Uh, I noticed Mark uh, on an, an interview on Radio 4 yeah. was it yesterday in, saying about, you know, um, the rural the rural economy and agriculture. It's not just about the livelihood of the farmers concerned, although that's part of that, but it's also about our identity as a nation. Now, that is really very striking indeed. And mm -hmm. um, so I think that that, that is going to be there, will continue to be there. Um, the stuff around, uh, you know, on Scotland, I always, the, the comparison that I, I use, standard comparison, is basically Wales is the UK's Montenegro. So basically, if you think about the, the collapse of Yugoslavia, yeah. um, all the action was happening elsewhere. And the Montenegrins were pretty happy being, you know, their own republic within Yugoslavia, extensive autonomy. They were quite, you know, they were quite happy. And then suddenly they found themselves, it was just them and the Serbs were left. And, and, the, and this was no longer a happy thought for the Montenegrins. And by a small majority, they voted to establish their own independent states and this wasn't something that they particularly pushed for uh, there was obviously a group of people in Montenegro who wanted it to happen but it wasn't this gr huge groundswell as it was in Croatia or in Kosovo or in Slovenia but they ended up and I think that this is so I guess this is your uh, Scottish point isn't it it's like if Scotland if there is a second independence referendum in Scotland and Scotland does become independent then Wales is in the Montenegro position of what do we do because the Kingdom of England and Wales uh, is, you know, many people feel that is psychologically completely different from a continuing uh, UK. So, yeah, I mean, Scotland is is key, but there's also the, for, for Welsh Labour, there's a real danger of just sitting back or being seen to be irrelevant. Um, and, of course, they put Plaid Cymru back into their box two weeks ago. But the, the party's still there. Arguably, they've got um, the best Senate group they've ever had in terms of quality, I think. I think that's probably fair. Um, and, you know, half of Labour supporters still say that they will vote for independence. Now, they've stuck with Labour, uh, and Labour have been very, very careful not to alienate them. But you can't simply assume that they will just sit there quietly if, if the Conservatives are unwise enough to try to continue undermining devolution if we end up with a really kind of toxic situation around Scotland, which is more than plausible. You know, I would, you know, Labour, Labour can't afford to rest on their laurels here. And I think that there are enough canny people around that party to realise that. And, and linked to that then, before we finish, there's been an idea um, mooted by some and, and picked up by people like me about an independent Welsh Labour Party, which obviously sounds really yeah. exciting. Um, yeah. And some would argue, uh, as I have tried to, that yeah. it might be a natural continuation or a, or a, a linear trajectory yeah. that we're following from the days of, you know, even from Keir Hardy to Jim Griffiths to Cledwin Hughes, yeah. that that actually happens. Does that solve the problem of the distinctiveness between 
Labour in Wales and Labour in England, because we, you know, Alina Morgan was arguing with you on on a, on our SPD Direct coverage about you know uh, the future of Wales and Welsh Labour policy, and what came out of it all more than anything was that it was a distinctly Welsh Labour brand, and all of these debates that we're talking about wouldn't an independent Welsh Labour Party guarantee another generation of power for them, even whatever happens elsewhere in the UK, and if we are a Montenegro? Well, I'm not. Sh- I mean. You know, arguably, you can say, well, Labour's doing very well at differentiating itself from Welsh Labour's doing very well in terms of differentiating itself without institutional autonomy. They're doing pretty well. I mean, so, I mean, my my view is that, you know, I, that, there's certainly some people, as you know, in Welsh Labour would like to see that happen. And it's not, you know, the Scottish Labour Party is an accounting unit in its own right. Welsh Labour is nothing, you know, it's... it's uh, it's, its institutional presence is pretty weak. So, you know, it, 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 you could just turn it into a kind of Welsh version of what they have in Scotland if, if you wanted to. I'm not sure it would make a huge amount of difference. I think the real problem for, for Welsh Labour, the real strategic dilemma for them, uh, and it's something that I think Welsh Labour MPs on the whole are in deep denial about, but I think that the people around the Senate group are, are more switched on to it, is that if there's no prospect of labor recovery in england and at the moment you know as as you know my work uh, the work i've been involved in with people like ilsa henderson and uh, and other colleagues suggests very much that english politics is becoming dominated by kind of a kind of an identity politics and the, the labor are in completely the wrong space uh, in that and i see no prospect of them even understanding their their problem let alone doing something about it how long can Welsh Labour kind of pretend that, you know, it's okay for us just to be governing Wales in perpetuity, but, you know, it doesn't matter that our party's going nowhere in England and in Scotland looks, you know, a, a disappointing third, um, you know, and, and that's that's their big strategic dilemma. And then what do you do? If, if you say, well, actually, in the long term, it's implausible to sustain Welsh Labour dominance without a prospect of Labour returning in England or in Scotland. What does the Welsh party do? And then I think the case for for some kind of institutional change, um, some potentially quite radical institutional change um, becomes much stronger. The, the, their branding at the moment is, is so strong, they don't really need to change anything, but there's a substantive thing that potentially uh, comes along uh, as as it becomes clearer and clearer that you know the, the the way back in England is incredibly long and rocky. And before we finish that, there's we've talked a lot about uh, the three major parties. Obviously, we haven't touched upon the collapse of the Liberal Democrats, but uh, you, you you've um, you know analysed that and commentated on that uh, for the last few weeks. I'm sure people have either seen or, or read about those thoughts, and you touched upon. The impact of this election on on devolution, a huge vote of confidence yeah. in in devolution. But what is, and you, and you touched upon it already. But what is the biggest challenge facing the Welsh government over the next five years? Because some would argue that it is protecting the devolution settlement itself and the fact that it's being undermined. I mean, can you point to something like that, which is the biggest challenge? Yeah, so Not only, I know, I, yeah, I think there are two challenges, um, and. Arguably, the most important challenge is that um, current spending plans by the UK government suggest austerity 2.0 uh, 
is coming along. My colleagues in the Governance Centre have done some really striking work about Welsh public finances, and it looks horrible. It looks absolutely horrible in a context of so much pent-up demand in terms of health, um, a lot of catching up to do around education. You know, there's there's a there's just a huge, huge, huge issue around just managing to deliver public services uh, going forward because there's just you know resources are so tight um and you know if the uk government continues in its current plans then there's a huge problem and that's you know that is front and center uh the biggest uh policy political challenge and then on the constitution um you know we've seen the conservatives embark on re-centralization um you might have thought that they would have been chastened by what happened to them in Wales and in Scotland in the elections for the devolved parliaments and that they would roll back from that. But I, I have no faith at all in their ability to do what is sensible in terms of the future of the union. I mean, they, they seem to have decided that devolution is a problem in terms of the future of the union, whereas actually making devolution work is the prerequisite for the survival of the union they've got this completely the wrong way around and the problem that welsh labor has is that you know it doesn't you know scotland always has the exit card um and it's not clear what card welsh labor has uh, in a context where you play you're playing against somebody who really doesn't care about mandates or whatever so yeah so that's another huge huge challenge for them but so I, th I guess those are the combined they're the main challenges well a lot for us to discuss another time Richard and we haven't even touched upon uh, in detail your work but there's certainly a lot for us to look forward to very exciting and very there's some optimism I think as well not not all doom and gloom um but yeah, thank you very much. Diolch i it's been a real pleasure. Diolch Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to hear more, you can keep up to date and listen to the latest episodes across your usual audio platforms, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Episodes are published every Monday by me, Theo Davis-Lewis, and the best way to send me your thoughts and comments is via our Twitter feed, at WhatNextForWheels. Looking forward to hearing from you, and thanks again for listening. Diolch.